Hello everyone and welcome to Rumble. Today I am joined by the fabulous Tamra Box. Tamra is the managing partner Europe and Middle East at international law firm Reed Smith LLP, where she's a member of the senior executive team. She sits on the global board of the firm, one of the top 20 law firms in the world, with more than 30 offices in the US, Middle East, Europe and Asia. Prior to become managing partner uh, for EME, Tamara was the chair of the firm's largest practice group, the Financial Industry Group. Tamara is a founding member of the steering committee of the 30% Club, an influential group seeking to enlist chairs and CEOs to bring more women into senior management and onto boards. She's also a trustee of the UK's leading gynaecological cancer charity, the Eve Appeal. She is both a companion and a member of the Chartered Management Institute's Board of Companions. Finally, with all this time, Tamara is also a member of the Court of Governors of the London School of Economics. Tamara, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be with you. And delighted to have you, Tamara, because I can think of no better person to talk about the power of the warrior. And I'd love to explore with you how the fabled fearlessness of the warrior can help us all in our desire to affect change, to lead and to live well. So let's get right into our first question. Tamara, when you reflect on your life up until this point, can you describe a moment when you knew your only or best option was fearlessness? And how did the repercussions from that situation impact your future path? This is an easy one for me, Maggie, because it, it, it was a life-changing moment. Um, I'm from Texas originally, and I grew up in the suburbs of Houston. And when I thought about universities, I naturally thought about Texas. It's a big place, and that's what Texans do. And I started <laughs> at a place called Baylor uh, in Waco, Texas. Great school. I had a full scholarship, um, and it was, you know, it was an amazing experience to get to go to university. But when I got there everyone looked and sounded just like me. And I kept thinking, this isn't what it's supposed to feel like to get to expand your horizons and broaden your mind and do all the things that university is supposed to do for you. Um, and I, I lucked out, I fell in love with economics, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a Bachelor of Arts environment like the US, you take everything. Yeah. And my economics professor made an offhanded comment one day. He said, if you're really serious about economics, Tamara, and you would either be at the University of Chicago or the London School of Economics. And it just hit me like, you know, like a bolt of lightning that I needed to go to London. Now I'd been to London once in my life with my family on a family trip uh, in the usual way. Um, but I wrote to the London School of Economics and said, I want to come to your university and I want to transfer there. I'd done two years at Baylor. I want to transfer into your university and finish my degree. And they wrote, remember, I'm old enough, they were really writing, and I was really writing. There was <laughs> they wrote back and said, you know, we don't really take transfer students, but you could come and do this junior year abroad thing that all Americans do. Yes. And I went to Baylor and said, I'm doing this junior year abroad thing. This will be great. And Baylor said, yeah, go right ahead, but we won't count any of your credits and you'll lose your scholarship. Oh, no. So I wrote a long pleading sob story letter back to the LSE and said, please, 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 I really, I know I'm meant to be at your university and I need to come there and finish my degree. And they wrote back to me and said, and I quote, we don't take transfer students. However, if you'd like to come here and start your second year of university um, as, as if you were a second year at LSE, uh, 
then if you do well enough, we'll let you stay. Wow. Do you give up a scholarship, a full ride at a oh. university? Do you move to a country you really have only ever been to once? I didn't even know where the university was in London. Um, do you go somewhere you know absolutely no one <laughs> and have nowhere to live, by the way? <laughs> um, and the answer is 100% yes. And so I came to London. I knew no one. I found the university. I found a place to live. I you know, started at the LSE and it was jaw-droppingly, life-changingly extraordinary for me. Um, there were 160 countries represented in the student body in this little tiny street as it used to be Houghton Street in London. And for someone from, you know, a small town in Texas, this was amazing. And it was, you know, it was wonderful to be different. So yeah. I was, all of a sudden, I wasn't like everyone else. <laughs> I was from Texas with You're not like anyone I know. You're like, you're a totally unique, fabulous woman. Carry on, babe. <laughs> everything because it, it worked first of all happily I did get to stay um, yeah. I every moment of it I, I loved my course I fell in love with London it was my first and lifelong love affair London yeah still here so, well still here but I went I went back I went back to the states for for law ended up in New York um, and then in New York and this is really I think the the life-changing part you know my firm offered me when I was trying to go to London, the chance to go to Singapore instead. Again, a place I'd never been to in my life. I was 26, single, knew absolutely no one in Asia, never mind in Singapore. Um, and they didn't even offer me a chance to go check it out. I had to get on a plane and move there. Um, and, so, <laughs> yes. and, and so it's continued in that vein, all these opportunities. Um, when I came back to London, my my opportunity was to go to another big firm uh, that offered me a job, a really stable one, or to start the London office of the firm that I was with. Um, so I chose the latter, you know, do something that you get to really shine at, be different, stand out. And, you know, I think that all started with this moment at LSE where I suddenly looked around and it, it just was different. I wasn't like everyone else and they weren't like me and it was extraordinary. Oh, I love that. The power of the the power of the unique differentiator. I love that. OK, so on to our next question now, Tamara. So if we ask people what comes to mind when they think of the warrior, I think most people would say someone who remains steadfast in the face of adversity and continues regardless of the obstacles in their way. Now, I'm very interested to know how have you dealt with the blockers you've met along the way? Yeah, and look, there are always blockers. Um, and I think, you know, there there are two things, I, I guess I would say, you take away. You try to change minds. You know, that's that's really what we did. And you try to change minds. I think there are loads of ways to do that. And it's usually not with words, right? It's usually results and outcomes and data and information that, you know, that is factual. Um, and I think sometimes it's situational. You know, I've been in situations where you get told you can't do something and you have to go prove that you can. And so, again, it's actions. But the thing I always worry most about, and maybe particularly with women, Maggie, is that we get into situations where we think it's our responsibility to change, particularly in, you know, relationships like professional and personal, to change that that relationship, that situation. Mm -hmm 
change other people. And, and while I think, you know, change does get affected because you get in on the inside and you make a difference, sometimes we also have to remember if you can't change minds, then change your circumstances or change your situation because you can't always win. You know, you can't always make people see it the way you do. And I often find that, you know, when I, when I particularly when I talk to young men and women who are not sure that they have the career path they want, rather than, you know, staying in the same place and hoping things will change or trying to make everyone around you change, sometimes the best answer is change those circumstances. Sometimes that's change job, change countries, you know, change relationship, whatever that may be. <laughs> because then you unblock everything about that that was maybe keeping you from being able to change as well and keeping you from being able to have the impact. And look, I think, you know, the, the real answer to all our ills is for everyone to feel like they are getting to have impact, you know, to make a difference somewhere, somehow to someone uh, or an organization or a place. And if if you're being held back by something, mm-hmm. then change those circumstances. Um, and then on a on a really light note, I will say sometimes, you know, when you think about some of those blockers are, you know, in meetings, the ridiculous, you know, comments that get made, the sort <laughs> of, um, you know, putting down of people who are different, whether that's, you know, gender or ethnicity or, you know, um, orientation, whatever that may be. Sometimes humor is the very best weapon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the is to laugh, but don't let anyone off the hook. You know, make a joke. You know, my favorite is always, you know, that's a really great point, John. And you know what? It was a really great point when Jane made it too. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know it's kind of use your humor where you can to bring others with you um doesn't always work but it's always worth a try (laughs) i definitely agree with that one but i love that phrase if you can't change minds change your circumstances and i know as someone that has had the benefit of your wisdom tamra when i was dealing with some very interesting turning points myself uh that your wisdom applied in the right context has certainly helped me affect change and make some tough decisions. Now, I want to move on to a topic we all love talking about and we're, I'm certainly fascinated about, power and one's own agency. Now, I know that you are super committed uh, to using your power to affect change, not just for yourself, but for others as well. And I've had the uh, privilege really of seeing that firsthand. But what I would love to understand, I'm actually surprised, Tamara, I've never asked you this myself before, but where did that commitment of yours spring from to yeah. use your power to affect change? Because I experience you as someone who you're just, well, you embody the fearlessness of the warrior for me. But where did it come from? Um, it's always, you know, I, and I've reflected on this, Meg. I think some of it comes from watching my mother. Um, when I was, my mother's first of all, very, very young. She had me the day after she turned 18. Um, but she had a PhD by 26 and went on to, uh, really just take the, the telecommunications industry by storm. She was the most woman hired in a, you know, a variety of telecoms companies. And I remember my mother coming home to all my mates, you know, we were in high school, um, and making dirty jokes and, and she would tell dirty okay. jokes what? And to try to stop blushing 
because she's a blonde and fair skinned like I am. And in a boardroom, you know, that's what men, particularly in Texas, did. They told dirty jokes and my mother would turn red. And it, it for her, you know, she felt like it took away some of her, um, you know, credibility uh, and her and the perception of, you know, mm. kind of her ability to be in that room. So she would practice with us. And, you know, I watched my mom go off to work dressed in the full on Brooks Brothers with a little bow tie. And I'll admit that's how I started work, too, because my mother dressed me. <laughs> Your mom dressed you for work, Tamara? You never told me that. <laughs> right. So my classmates in my first year of uh, of working lawyer in New York all joked afterward they thought I was 45 years old. So. <laughs> <laughs> my mother change things and you know my my mom did that for a long time and then when she finally decided that she was tired of changing them in the corporate world one of the things she had to learn uh, was to play golf because all the men you know in in corporate america particularly in the telecoms industry play golf and you had to play golf to be on the you know frankly to be in the room where it happens the room where it happens then was the golf course right um and she got patronized every time she tried to buy golf equipment or do anything or you know improve her game etc so she started a golf shop for women um it became the number one golf store for women in the united states she you know she worked for golf for women magazine anyway so i've watched my mom change industries you know all my life and i think because i watched her do it you know successfully i felt like that's what we're supposed to do Right. You pave the way for the people coming after you. Um, you know, you're you have I mean, we say with, you know, with authority comes responsibility. Well, you know, I think, look, with opportunity comes responsibility. And when you get an opportunity to be in the room where it happens, I think you're responsible for propping the door open and making sure that, you know, others get to follow you. Uh, and that, you know, that comes for me with a particular passion for women and you know their unique contributions to the world and making sure that you know, they get recognized. It also comes, I think, with a recognition as I've gotten more senior and you know older. That's a really nice way of saying older, isn't it? We all say. Let, let's stick with senior and <laughs> older. What? <laughs> you know, as I'm older, I think the the pleasure and the privilege of having power is getting to use it you know, to increase the power of others. And, and the fascinating thing is it's, it's like this unlimited supply in some ways. You know, it's, it's almost exponential. The more you use your power to, you know, bring others along, lift, you know, as you rise, as it were, yeah. um, the power you have. You know, and I, I constantly tell people, you know, look, if you share credit and make sure others see how great those in your team are, you know, you're not giving anything away. Funnily enough, you're growing for both of you the opportunity and the perception, you know, of your credibility and your power. And so, it, you know, it's like sponsorship is always one of those, you know, natural answers. You're not, you're not sponsoring someone for the fun of it. The reality is this is a two-way street. You know, mm -hmm. when you really well by your organization, by bringing somebody great through, your power grows too because you're perceived as, you know, being smart and clever about how you build a team and how you, you know, share work and delegate out and do all those things. So to me, it's become that kind of natural thing that you should do, not not just because you're altruistic, which I'm not sure I truly believe in, um, but because it really does 
come back at you, you know, tenfold every time. And then you get to have, as I say, the thing that we all probably crave more than anything, which is impact. You know, the ability to feel like you left a mark somewhere. You made a difference to something. Of what you did mattered. And why do you think, though, Tamara, that so many people today do struggle with being fearless and also finding their voice to affect change and have that impact we've just been talking about? Yeah. And, and again, I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we live in a world that, you know, doesn't, doesn't necessarily appreciate and value difference. And so ultimately, we all are encouraged to conform, you know, to fit in. I mean, think about all the language that we use in every circumstance and situation, you know, whether it's jobs or schools, you know, friend circles, whatever it may be, it's it's fit, you know, and, and it's really this orientation to being alike, which kind of leads people to think they shouldn't stand out and they should speak up. Um, and so they don't. And I think, you know, this, the more we're in groups where that sort of fitting in, you know, is encouraged, the less likely we are to speak up or stand out or stand up for others. And I think that that fearlessness really does come back to, you know, being able to say, actually, it's okay to be different. It's okay to stand out for a change. Um, and, and I'm just not sure, maybe the human race isn't necessarily even oriented, you know, to <laughs> encourage that. And, and, and work, you know, we have to work at it to not, maybe not judge others when they stand out and stand up, but also to, you know, stand out and stand up for the things that matter to, to us. Absolutely, because I believe certainly that um, it's often what is most unique and different about us that is the thing that is the most valuable and therefore can kind of be a real lodestone or foundation stone in uh, carving one's path to kind of have impact and, and power, I guess. So Tamara, final question then. So what would be your top tips for people uh, listening today who are trying to find their voice or are trying to find their path towards affecting changes that will make a difference to their own and to others' lives? Yeah, this is this is always hard. First of all, it's hard to limit yourself to, to three things, but <laughs> you can say as many as you want, Tamara. We're like, we'll take all your rich insights today. I'm furiously writing notes so I can refer to them later. <laughs> Well, the, I mean, it's my favorite piece of advice for sort of you know anyone and everyone, and um, is say yes. Um, and it's you know it it, it it isn't something everyone agrees with. Uh, there are days when I think maybe I need to learn to say no. I, I do acknowledge that, but but say yes has gotten me you know an opportunity and into situations and into rooms and you know into conversations and relationships with you know in so many circumstances that I just think if I hadn't been willing to take a risk, you know, to say yes to something that sounded tricky or took my time when I maybe didn't have it or, you know, involved me meeting someone new or walking into a room where I knew no one or moving to a country where I knew no one or, you know, starting a business when that isn't a natural thing for risk averse lawyers or, you know, whatever. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, good. Newsflash, lawyers are risk averse. You're joking. <laughs> I'd never have guessed, Tara. <laughs> if you don't say yeah, then you miss, you know, half of what life has to offer. So, you know, I think start with say yes. Um, and then I, I think it's, you know, it's kind of remember, you know, it's maybe back to my point, you know, with, with opportunity, then comes this responsibility. And whoever you are in the world, you know, for, for ill or for good, um, for, you know, for all of the way that the human race works, you, do, you represent something to everyone else. And so whether you mean it or not, you probably are speaking for others and you are acting for others. And what you do or say is going to dictate how somebody after you will be treated, um, will be viewed, and the opportunities that you know that they will get. So it's it's just worth remembering. You know, we just don't live in a world by ourselves. You know, and lots of people you know may get away with being self-interested, um, but I, it catches up with them, frankly, because the you know the realities of the world are, you know, we all owe each other something, and that's you know that's how we live. You know, and and. You know, everybody always jokes the world is small, you know, life is short and there are six degrees of separation. So, you know, don't burn bridges, you know, remember what you're, it's those yeah, kinds yeah, yeah. of. Oh, I love that though. I love that though. Say yes. And we all owe something. So we all owe someone something. That's a beautiful articulation of how we should think about our place in the world in terms of our uh, responsibility to others. And then, and, and that, I think sometimes, you know, I guess the the real import of that for for me is sometimes when you realize you're there for speaking for others or acting on the benefit, you know, to the benefit of someone else, it makes you more fearless than you might on your own behalf. You know, if you think about, you know, what would you do for a friend? I mean, I'd go to the ends of the earth for a friend, but I wouldn't necessarily do that same thing for me, right? And and that's most of us are built. So, you know, it's why all the advice about, you know, go and, and think about, you know, negotiate your salary like you're negotiating for your friend, right? Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're doing it for others, you're likely to be, you know, more fearless and more willing to get out there and fight for what you think is right if you know you're doing it for others. So that, I suppose, is the real outcome on, you know, how to get to fearlessness with that. Uh, and then a really practical one, Maggie, you know, look, and I think it, it probably applies, you know, not just to your CV, but to anything that you do, go back and look at it, look at your CV or go back and look at a great, you know, piece of advice you gave a client that, you know, you remember thinking I, I did that well, you know, go back and look at maybe a piece of advice you gave, you know, someone you mentor um, you know, go back and look at, you know, what you advised, you know, your CEO to do about a situation. And when you do that, and, you know, especially if it's memorialized, if it's a piece of writing, an email or whatever, you'll always be pretty impressed with that person who wrote that. And, you know, the same with your CV, you're going to read that and think, damn, I hire that person. That's great. <laughs> Remember, just take yourself, you know, outside of yourself for a minute. And look at you, you know, the way the, the world sees you. And, you know, remember the good things you're doing, the great things you've accomplished, you know, or the people you've helped or, you know, how you've done that. And, and take a minute to think, well, that's because I was fearless. So now it's time to, you know, recognize that and use it again. 
Um, and it, it helps. I mean, I, you know, I find every once in a while I read an email and think, wow, that was a damn good piece of advice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should take that advice. <laughs> uh, a lawyer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am a lawyer. Just <laughs> see you remind yourself of the stuff, you know, the stuff you do day in, day out, and it gets easy to forget. But, you know, you are accomplished and it, you know, it does mean something. And therefore, you know, when you're a little worried about standing up or, you know, standing out on something, you know, remind yourself it's worked before and, you know, you're good at it. It helps. Oh, Tamara, it is such a joy to listen to you. As I often say to you, I could listen to you all day. And whenever I do listen to you, I always want to hear more. But sadly, you know, the demands of time and your time mean that we have to bring this wonderful discussion to a close. Thank you so much for the rich insight shared. And uh, thank you, everybody who's listening. Take care. Mm-hmm.